This morning I'm sharing with you about the power of the circle, which is really uh, the power of a small group. And really, it's more than just a small group. It's about face-to-face interaction. You know, when we come to church like this, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you're sitting in a row right now. A straight line staring at the back of somebody's head in front of you. Well, that doesn't mean that you have any amount of relationship with that person. And yet we were created as relational beings. And so this is not just a vital part of who I believe that we're called to as the church, but it's a vital part to you and not just to your own spiritual development, but also into what God has for you moving forward. Um, You know, I believe that we have made church something that the Bible never necessarily intended it to be. Um, You know, and there are elements that what I'm doing right now is needed and necessary, and it's biblical, and it's right. Um, you know, I would call, you know, and I, I'm, I'll just tell you, I'm stealing this from somebody else because it communicates it well. It's the power of the pulpit. And there is something unique to the preaching of God's Word in this format. Um, and, it, and it's needed because there are things that I can address as pastor because this is the position that God has placed me in that I can minister from. But it's not the end-all, be-all. And that's what we've made it. We've tried to create that the preaching of God's Word is everything. But the Bible doesn't actually support that. It has a place for it. I mean, you can even see this, and we'll look at this here in a little bit. Jesus had two ministries, really. He had the public ministry to the thousands, tens of thousands. But then he also had 12 knuckleheads, which was the real ministry. And, I mean, let's be honest. Well, I'm not going to go there yet. I'm going to get ahead of myself. I'm going to get there here in a little bit. But he really had two ministries. He had a circle. He had guys that he did face-to-face life with. They ate together. They talked. He did the best he could. And even in that three and a half years, he even said, Look, there's some things I would love to tell you, but you guys ain't ready. So I'm going to have to send the Holy Spirit to teach you. You know, and so we have the power of the pulpit, the power of the circle, which is really face-to-face relationships. And so the reason that we're doing small groups is to help facilitate those face-to-face relationships. It's to give you a place to come and belong and to actually uh, create some meaningful relationships. And then, uh, you know, the third element, which I believe is, is vitally important to everything that we do, is the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I expect the power of the Holy Spirit to be present in our small groups. Just because we're not getting together and worshiping like this necessarily, and somebody's not preaching doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not there. I have an expectation, and I'm believing that the Holy Spirit's going to show up, and that He's going to show up through you. It's not just come and listen and partake. You may be on the other side of it saying, hey... I actually have something to give. And I believe that there is much more in the body of Christ, individuals, than they realize. God gave His... I love the way I heard somebody say this one time, and we'll look at this verse here in a few minutes, is that God gave gifts to the church, which was the apostle, the pastor, the prophet, uh, the evangelist, the pastor, teacher, right? Fivefold ministry is what we call that. The problem is, is that we have elevated that, not necessarily in a wrong way, It has a function. But God's gift to the world was His church. Not the ministry gifts as we would call them. So you think of it this way. You are God's gift to El Dorado. Or wherever community you may live in. Not North Point Church. You are God's gift to the community in in which you find yourself in. 
And yet, it's easy to just kind of slip back and say, well, but I don't really have anything to offer. Well, sure you do. Sure you do. I'm going to make a strong statement here, and so please don't be offended by it. If you do, you can come to our small group on Wednesday here in a week and a half, though, and and, and figure out how to get over it. You have a story of why you got saved. There's a reason that you serve God today. So don't insult the grace of God by saying your story doesn't matter. See, you don't have to be perfect for God to use you. You just got to be willing. You got to be available. That may be the most important part. Some people are willing, but they're not really available. And that's part of, but God use me, God use me, God use me. Make yourself available and God will use you. In Acts chapter 2, we see the early church. And this is really where uh, I believe that we should still follow this model today uh, as churches. It was very effective when they started the church and I believe it will be equally as effective today. Um, you know, here in Acts 2, 40, uh, chapter 2, verse 42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing of meals, which included the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So there's four elements here. They talked about the Word of God. Together they fellowshiped, so they had community. They had communion. There was joint participation. There was... Um, um, the breaking of bread, so they were sharing of meals and communion, and they prayed together. And, the, and so it goes on here, and it says in verse 43, A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. So because the church was invested in one another, God showed up. That's what that's really saying. Because it wasn't just one-sided, that everybody was participating in the presence and the power of God showed up. In verse 44, it says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions and shared the money with those in need. Now, we're not about to do that. But I will tell you what I see in Scripture is that nobody told them to do that. It was out of love for one another that they met each other's needs. I believe that's biblically correct. If I was to stand up and say, hey, we're all supposed to sell all our stuff, I'd tell you to run. Because that's crazy. I'll just tell you, that's nuts. You can only do anything like that led by the Lord, and you better know it's the Lord. It's not, for, it's not my place. That's not my role. That's not my function. And so, you know, but what happens here is out of love and out of relationship, they had a, saw a need and they said, hey, I want to meet that need. I feel led by the Lord to meet that need. So they shared everything they had. It says in verse 46, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Church wasn't drudgery. It was actually enjoyable. It says in verse 47, all the while uh, they were praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It wasn't just this small group gathering where they were happy with each other. God was expanding and exploding the church. I mean, they weren't adding by the tens or the hundreds. They were adding by the thousands. One after another. Just Well, why? Because people were relationally connected. And ultimately, 
other outsiders, if you want to say it like that, saw the connection which opened up their heart to the gospel, which ultimately led to salvation, which caused the church to grow. But it all started with relationships, face-to-face. You know, we were created as face-to-face people. That's why in the digital age in which we live, it's the most depressed, some of the highest suicide rates we've ever seen in human history. Why? Because Facebook is not a friendship. It's not a real person, it's a computer screen. I mean, I love my wife, but I like to see my wife. I don't want to look at her through a phone. I don't want to look at her through a computer. If I can't be with her, it's it's a second option. It beats not seeing her at all. But we are created for face-to-face. And I mean, and you can study this out. I've looked into it quite a bit. But even psychologically, they've now really begun to study the effects of social media. And how really empty it is because it's like, oh, well, I have a thousand friends. Praise the Lord. So try to call all thousand and see how many show up. Those are your real friends. That's the value of face-to-face. You know, I mean, I have lots of acquaintances, but I can count probably on one or two hands my real friends. That... If I call and say, hey, I need you, they would come. And vice versa. If they called me, I would go. Why? Because they're my friend. And we see this in the early church. And so, you know, I already kind of alluded to this. But community and for the sake of communication and even what I believe we're called to be as a church. I'm going to use this word, connection. Community or connection happens in circles, not in rows. I mean, yes, you can engage with somebody for a few minutes on a Sunday morning in a row. Before church or after church, if you catch them before one of you runs out the door. I've literally, literally had to run people down to meet them. I mean, like, had to run out to their car to say, hey, I didn't get a chance to meet you this morning. I remember when we were in Shreveport, me and Dara, we ended up having a really good couple friend. We had to run them down. Because the way our sanctuary was, you had doors in the back and doors on the side. Well, they sat over here and they always exited that door. The problem was we were always in the back talking to people. And so I grabbed her one week and I said, hey, you know that couple we've been trying to catch every week? I mean, we're talking about months had gone by. That was a big church, but, you know, but still, months had gone by. We had never seen them one time. I'm like, they just, something about them. I had to run from this side of the sanctuary, which, you know, is a pretty good size sanctuary. And I caught them somewhere in this area. And said, hey, we just want to meet y'all. They kind of jumped. Ah. We were on our escape route. I know. I had to interrupt your escape route. Well, they ended up becoming good friends of ours. Still are. You know, I mean, but it took us going out of our way to connect with them. And it was like, hey, we just want to meet you. My name's David. What's your name? Hey, let's grab dinner or something. You want to make a friend? Go to dinner. It's just, there's somebody. I mean, it's actually biblical. And so, you know, we have to understand that community or connection happens in circles, face to face. Not front ahead to back ahead. I mean, I don't talk to the back of Dara's head at home. And if we're, and if for both of us, if, if it's something that really matters, what do we say? 
look at me. Why? I want eye contact. Right? Like, this matters, and I want to know that you're not distracted by your phone or the TV or the dishes or dinner. Look at me. Right? Why? Because face-to-face matters to us. There's an engage, there's a connection that happens face-to-face that we need as people. And so, we were sharing about this last week, and so I want to take it kind of to another step, if you will. But I want to ask you a question. I've already talked about it a little bit, but I have a question for you this morning, and then I want to share about it. And it's this, is that who's the minister around here? If somebody, if you brought somebody to church, or just say that you ran and chased somebody down, said, hey, I wanted to meet you this morning. And by the way, I have actually ran into our parking lot to meet people here. Like in the car, you know, for some reason, it's startling because people don't expect you to do those kinds of things. By the way, those people are actually in our church today. And they weren't before that day. Well, I shouldn't be the only one doing that. Now, I'm not saying we should stalk people, freak people out. (laughs) But, but, there will be people. That you're going to see and you're going to say, I feel like I, there's, I don't know what it is. There's something about them. That something might be the Holy Spirit saying they need your relationship. And you can slough it off and say no big deal. Because it definitely would have been more convenient for me to not have to change my normal plan to go and meet this particular couple. But I had to go out of my way and literally run to catch them. They were quick. I was like, dang. <laughs> Why? And look, I wasn't the pastor of the church. I was on staff, but I wasn't the pastor of the church. But see, if you were to bring somebody or, or meet somebody here and, some, and they asked you, hey, who's the minister here? You're probably going to say, oh, that's him up there. That's pastor. You know, that's not actually... I mean, yes, there is, that is true in a way. But here's the problem when you say that. Pastor's the minister. What does a minister do? Ministry. Right? Ministers do ministry. So what you have said, and maybe not intentionally, but at least in thought have said, he ministers and I don't. Because I'm not in the ministry. I'm not a minister. So what you have done has now downgraded yourself from where the Bible says you should be and are to something that's just convenient. Which is, I'm a Christian. I I go to church. That's what I do. Well, biblically speaking, that's not right. Ephesians says it this way. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. I quoted this verse a moment ago, but it says, Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Now we're going to read a few more verses here in a moment, but let's just stop and look at this. And really, Scott, just leave. Tell you what. Yeah, leave that verse up there. Don't even take it down. So, the ministry gifts. Those who are called into what we call the five-fold ministry, which I hate that. Oh, you're called to the full-time ministry. No, we're all called to the full-time ministry. 
All. Regardless of where we are, what we do, we're all in the ministry. And it says that, but there are people who are gifted in certain aspects of church life, if you want to call it that. So, let me say, let me reword this. People who stand in the pulpit have a responsibility to equip or to train God's people to do ministry. And that ministry will build the church. Not the preaching of the gospel. Now, and lots of people have done this. You can build a great church on preaching. But that's not what Jesus did. It's not how Jesus did it. It's not the reason we have church today. Because Jesus understood the power of the circle. He understood what it meant. And here it says that those who stand and have pulpit ministry, if that's what you want to call it, is that our responsibility is this, is to equip you to do what God has already called you to do, which is to minister to people, to love people, to care for people, to engage with people. And it says that when the church as a whole owns the ministry. In other words, hey, who's the ministers here? We all are. All of us. We all have something to offer. I don't care how perfect you think you are or how messed up you think you are. You got something to offer. It's just true. And it says that when the people are equipped or trained to do the work of the ministry, what happens? It will build the church. In verse 13, it says, This will continue. Is that word, this will, is that confusing to anybody, by the way? This will continue until we all come to such unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete stature or standard of Christ. So, biblically speaking, here, what is it saying? The church's job is finished when every single member, attender, is fully mature. And the moment that anybody new walks in that door who is not fully mature, you start over. That's the church's job. Not my job. Us. Our job. Is that we are to help one another grow in maturity. To develop. You can't grow just you and Jesus. You can to a degree, but you will stagnate. Why? Because... Sometimes you got blind spots. I got blind spots. And I need people to point them out. Hey, you're missing this. I mean, you know, and I've had I have good friends of mine who do this for me and I do it for them. We'll talk on the phone or whatever it may be and just hey, let me just let me just drop this here. You can do what you want with it. But just listening to you talk, I think you're off of where your focus, where it needs to be. And we're able to help save each other a lot of heartache. Why? Because it's relationship. But that's the church's responsibility. Is that everyone grows. My growth is tied to your growth. Your growth is tied to my growth. If I stop growing, you'll probably stop growing. And if you stop growing, 
So will I. Why? Because our growth is tied together. Now here's what this means where it talks about measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Verse 14. It says, then you will no longer be immature like children. You know, as, a, as an adult, there are things that I have learned like sacrifice. Sometimes I go without because I want to do something for my wife. Or I want to do something for somebody else. Or I want to be generous. And I know if I'm generous in that way, it means I may not get some of the things I want. But that's okay because I've learned to sacrifice. But that's a mature decision. An immature decision says I want what I want and I want it now. That's my son. He's two. He's immature. He's a kid. It's to be expected. I don't look at him and go, Max, you need to be more mature, young man. It's time for you to grow up. We're going to work on that in about the next six, eight months. Hopefully he's going to learn to share a little bit better. But it says here that the goal is that no one would be immature like children. And here's why it matters. So that we won't be tossed and blown by every wind of new teaching. It says that we will not be, or we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with clever lies um, or lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of His body, the church. He makes the whole body, who's He? Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. One of the markers of the church should be how much we love one another and how much we love other people. I mean, that's what it says here. Don't be immature like children. Don't let new doctrines come that throw you off. Why? Because I got people around me to say, hey, you're getting off there. That's, that's not what the Bible says. You need to refocus in this area. And, and it's accountability, which is not comfortable, but yet it's needed. If that fights against our American independent spirit. Can't nobody tell me what to do. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you there's land and you're about to shipwreck. Do what you want. But, you know, Titanic, there's an iceberg. You know, the water's kind of cold. You might not want to jump in. I'm just, do what you want. But there's death out there in that water. That's what accountability is. Now, we don't like it, but it's needed. It's important. Now, let me give you just, and hopefully this will help kind of solidify this a little bit, is that we think, well, ministers are the ones who do the ministry. This is true. But we're all ministers. You say, well, I don't know if I qualify. I need to get all my stuff together. Let me help you with this. The Lord spoke through a donkey. Literally, go look it up in the in numbers. Spoke through a donkey. I think he can use us. I mean, look, if God can use me to do what I do, I'm pretty sure he can use about anybody to do anything. I mean, I've said this a lot. I failed speech three times in college. And yet that was the very thing the Lord called me to do. I mean, I would say this, some of your greatest areas of insecurity 
And what you view as your weakness is the very area that God may want to use you in. Why? Because then people are going to say, that has to be the Lord. I know them. But yet, if we're not careful, we can shrink back and say, well, I can't do this. And look, and it's not hard. It's not difficult. It's really not. We make it. And the enemy's done a masterful job at trying to get the church off course and off focus. Because as long as somebody else is the minister, you ain't got to do nothing. The responsibility's not on you. Let me give you a little pop quiz. I've asked this question before. It's been a while, though, so I'm going to ask it again. In your mind, can you think of the last five sermons you've heard? Probably not. You might one or two, five. I mean, we're not, I mean, look, I, I preach twice a week. I'm like, well, I don't know if I can name the last five I've preached without having to think about it for a while and using my cheat sheet on my iPad here. Like, what have I been preaching? But think of this. Can you think of the last five people that you had a meaningful conversation with? Those probably come to mind a little quicker. Why? Because relationship trumps information any day. If you trust somebody, you would believe them even if they were lying to you more than you would believe somebody that you don't know who's speaking the truth. Why? Because you have trust. Well, they wouldn't lie to me. Relationship trumps information. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't preach the Word of God. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I do want you to see is the power of relationships. That's, that's the circle. That's that face-to-face. But I believe that something amazing happens when we take that same information... And in this context, the preaching of the Word of God or the Word of God. And we combine it with a meaningful relationship. That's where something truly powerful can happen in your life. Why? Because when we're in this situation, and I wouldn't just be opposed to this necessarily, but it might throw me off. If somebody would raise their hand and say, hey, I got a question about what you just said. I'm not going to tell them, no. I was a youth pastor for years and kids did it all the time. My Bible don't say that. You got a different translation. What's that? Don't worry about it. We'll talk about that later. (laughs) You know. But this really isn't the format, the form, if you will, for conversation. It's come and let me teach the Word of God. But what if you were confused? Who do you go to and ask a question? That's why we have small groups. Hey, Pastor said this on Sunday. Makes no sense to me. Anybody know what he meant by this? And y'all all may say, nobody knows. <laughs> we got a problem. And maybe I need to come explain something. Or maybe it's just, hey, I, you know, this was said or this, this went on. I didn't understand what it was. And I'm just curious. We've been in a small group for six weeks together. I like y'all. I trust y'all. I didn't agree with what pastor said. But if y'all tell me it's all right, I'm going to believe it. Because there's a relationship there. See what happens, and I'm going to go through this fairly. I've shared this before, but from this, this is just part of uh, what drives, if you want to say it that way. This is that for many, um, or for many churches, this is the expectation for anyone who attends. It's a three-step process. Number one, you believe. 
Number two, you become. And number three, you'll belong. So believe in Jesus. Come become who he's called you to be. And eventually, you're going to fit in. Now, this is what I would say. This is, that's the pretty side. Here's the real side. This is what it sounds like. Once you sound like us, talk like us, look like us, you'll fit in just fine. That's the way most churches operate. If you dress the right way, if you talk the same churchy lingo that we have, you do the things that we do. In other words, the goal is conformity, not actual transformation. People are more serious about their church numbers than they are about heart change. That's why they're not serious about the belonging part. No, you've got to fit our mold and then you'll fit. Well, what if God didn't fit you into that mold when he made you? Well, that church ain't for me then. And you're right, because they got no room for you. I don't believe that's actually the most effective way to reach people. Come for six months and we'll decide if we like you. Come for a year and we'll decide, ah, yeah, this probably ain't the place for you. We don't like your kind here. Hello? <laughs> what? What kind is that exactly? Because I thought the same blood that was shed by Jesus covered everybody. And if this is still Jesus' church, then it's still available to everybody. But yet we tell, you know, or at least churches many times structure themselves this way. Hey, come get saved. This is what I believe. Now, well, let me just read you this next part. I believe that this is really the best way. Is that we allow people to belong so that they will believe so that they can actually become. Here's what I mean by that. I would rather an unsaved person come here for six months or a year and never profess faith in Christ. But because we love them, because we prayed for them, because we walked with them, they say, this Jesus thing's real. There's something to this because there's no reason in the world why you would care about me. Now, our church is very friendly. I'll say that. I get compliments all the time. It's the friendliest church I've been to. I think it's awesome. I never want that to change. I don't care for 20, 200, 2,000. Doesn't matter to me. I, that needs to be who we are. And I'll fight tooth and nail to keep it. But we ought to be able to, let me say it this way. We ought to love people to Jesus. They ought to see Jesus in us and they say, man, I, because you've accepted me, because I belong, I'm going to believe in Jesus. So they belong, they believe, then they'll become. The become part's easy. You just walk with them. You get them in the right environment. You put a seed in the right soil and it will grow. The environment matters more than the seed. I mean, you can go down to Home Depot and buy seeds in a pack. Shake them little seeds. Ain't nothing happening in that bag. You put those seeds in the right soil, it will grow. The same is true with people. You put people in the right environment and they will grow. And so part of that is through the preaching of God's word. But there's also a part of it that is face to face. The power of the circle. Now again, we're, 
We're believing for the power of the Holy Spirit in everything. I believe that somebody can get saved, healed, set free on a Sunday morning. Sure. I also believe that that can happen in a small group. Why? Because the Bible doesn't say to those churches who have services, these signs will follow. It says to those who believe, these signs will lay hands on the sick and they'll see them recover. It's when believers get together in any format. The, the power of God is present to work and to move in those moments. Our culture puts a high value on belonging before believing. They do. I mean, I can give you lots of examples, but for the sake of time, I won't. But they put a high, high value. Do I belong here? Do you accept me? You know, that's the number one need of every human being is acceptance. Amen. I mean, go look through the Gospels and read where Jesus rejected anybody. The only people he rejected were the overly spiritual, religious. It wasn't really spiritual. By the way, just because you're religious doesn't make you spiritual. I'd argue quite the opposite. At least from what I see from what Jesus says. It's a trust issue. Our society has issues with trust. And that's, what, that's the first question subconsciously people ask. Can I trust you? Are you going to hurt me? Maybe people have past history, whatever it may be. Can I trust you? Now, I said this earlier. Let me, say, let me add this. is that I believe that disciples are made by the power of the circle, not in the rows. Why? Because the preaching of God's word cannot build a disciple. Now, you may push back on that and be like, well, I don't know about that. Jesus didn't do it. If Jesus couldn't do it, being a master communicator, the Son of God, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and He couldn't disciple the masses. Jesus preached the gospel to tens of thousands of people. But He only had a few hundred disciples. So Jesus didn't disciple from the pulpit. Jesus discipled in a circle. Now... You can also go this far. Who carried the ministry of Jesus to the present day? Was it Jesus or was it those who he did life with in a circle? It was those he did life with in a circle. That's the power. Why? Because longevity. Look, we could build a church, for lack of a better term, based off of my personality. Right? People have done it a lot. Man, he's a great preacher. We, we love the word that he preached. Okay, well, what if I have somebody else who fills the pulpit? We can, either, we can build a church one of two ways. We can be personality driven or we can be biblical driven. Because Jesus wasn't a personality. Let me say it this way. I mean, the Bible even says, look, there was nothing about Jesus that was attractive or made him just stand out of the crowd like, oh, man, he's something. People didn't come to Jesus because he was charismatic. They didn't come to They came because they heard about the signs and the wonders that were done. They didn't come for him. Well, what did he do? He told the disciples, you go out. 
You lay hands on the sick. You cast out devils. And what happened? All of a sudden, Jesus said, hey, this thing's going to live long beyond me because if I die, which he knew he was, it's over. As a matter of fact, one of the Pharisees even said that about Jesus when they were trying to figure out what to do with him because he wouldn't conform to their little mold. And one stands up and says, look, if he's not the Messiah, he's going to die and this whole thing's going to go away anyways. Just like this guy and just like this guy. Let's just let it prove out. But the other one said, no, we, we, he's a problem we got to deal with. Ultimately, that wasn't her. Well, the proof is that here we are 2,000 years later, and you wouldn't know the names of the guys if I told you that I just mentioned. Who rose up before saying they were the Messiah. Today, Jesus is still very central to the conversation that happens in our world. See, true discipleship requires a close relationship that the preaching of the gospel or the preaching, the power of the pulpit can never offer. Spiritual growth is so much more than information transfer. We want to be disciples that are actively making disciples. Discipleship is one of the things we're called to as a church. We're to help people grow. Now, I'm going to simplify discipleship a lot for you. Here's what discipleship means. Walk along with somebody. Stick with them. Good times, bad times, we're walking through this thing together. I'm here for you, you're here for me. That's discipleship. Man, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm, I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know what the Lord wants to do. Talk about it. Here's the thing about discipleship. And this is for all of us. Discipleship only works to the degree that you are honest. It requires an honesty of us. A transparency of us. It's where we take off our, you know, our mask and we kind of bear it all. You're like, well, I don't like that. It makes me uncomfortable. Well, most of the things that help you grow in life are uncomfortable. I've never heard anybody say, I just love going to the gym. Like, you know, I just love the way it makes me feel. Just everything. It's painful, but they have a goal. Therefore, they endure the pain to get to the goal. Or the uncomfortableness of it. In that moment. Why? Because they've got a goal. Well our goal ought to be. That hey I just want to be an honest real person. It's one of my goals. I want to be the same person in the pulpit. That I am out of the pulpit. If you go have dinner with me. This is me. I may be a little more quiet at dinner. Because I ain't got a bunch of people staring at me. (laughs) I just want to be me. And I'm comfortable in my own skin. But I also don't have a problem just telling you where I'm at. Because I'm not trying to be somebody that I'm not. I just want to be who I am and honest. That's my expectation for you. If I ask you a question, I expect you to be honest. Because if you ask me a question, I'm going to be honest. Lovingly. But I'm going to be honest. Ask Stephanie, she'll tell you. She asks questions and I give answers. Just, just, just one time. Just once. No, true spiritual growth has more to do with information. You can come in here preaching and not change. Let me give it a real world example. You're in our, in our marriage group. 
You got people you've been in there doing marriage group with. Y'all been talking about communication and all these different things. And all of a sudden, you and your spouse are in a spat. And you call your other friend who's in your small group. And you start voicing your frustration. And they say, were you listening last Wednesday? Because I think we talked about this. That's accountability. No, I must have missed that part. Well, let me remind you. (laughs) Let me help you out. This is what we talked about. This is what you need to do. I don't want to do that. Spiritual maturity is not for immature people. Immature people don't make the tough decisions. Mature people do. And the Bible says we're to grow and not be immature. We're to grow and be spiritual. But here's the thing. We can't do that alone. What I just told you, the little example there, small group talking about marriage, the person on the one side of the phone had a blind spot and somebody else pointed it out. That's all that was. Lovingly, but says, hey, this is an area of your life. Right now, your frustration is not really what you think it is. It's not that big a deal. So, but that's discipleship. You walk along with people. Helping one another. It's not one-sided. It's not, hey, I'm somebody and you'll get there one day. It's, hey, we're people helping one another. There is no hierarchy in the church. There's no, like, you know, I'm in the upper room and y'all are just normal folks. No, we're all people who have been saved by the grace of Christ. Period. No exceptions. And I may be called as pastor, yes. But that's what I'm called to do, to function. So what? My my job is to equip you to minister to people. Period. That's the simplest definition. It's to watch over you, to pray for you, to make sure that I shepherd the flock that God has entrusted. That's what the Bible says. All those things are true. But it's also to make sure, and let me say it this way. As a shepherd, one of my jobs is to make sure the pasture that you're in has good grass. And I'm telling you, small groups is good grass. It's a good place for you to grow. It's a safe place for you to grow. Why? Because there's relationship that will happen. When you're in a class for six, eight weeks with people, you're going to build some relationships. There's going to become... Some trust that's built. Why? Because you're going to have to talk a little bit. It's not just come and look. It's participate. I shared this last week and I'll repeat it again. But our mission here is very simple. We have three principles that really guide everything that we do. And you're going to be hearing more and more and probably seeing more and more of these. This is our goal for everybody. And this goes into that. Belong, believe, become. Right? Right along the lines. Our first goal for anybody that we encounter, whether it's here, whether it's at the expo this next weekend, we want to connect with people. We want to connect people to God, and we want to connect with people. So our first step is this. Our first goal for people, for anybody, is to connect. The second thing that we desire for people is to grow. Grow in your maturity. Grow in your understanding of not just what God has for you, but who you are and what God wants through you. So we want you to grow in your understanding, knowledge of, of God and His 
you know, his role in your life. The third thing is, is that we say it this way, is that build. We want you to build the kingdom of God because you've got a kingdom to build and it's not your own. It's Jesus' kingdom. That's biblical. So we want you to connect, to grow, to build. It's not complicated. It's simple. That's our goal for you. I want you to be connected with people. I want you to help other people get connected because they probably won't grow if they're not connected. They'll come and they'll burn out shortly. Why? Because there's the conditions of the soil aren't right. I want to make sure that our church is fertile soil for people to come and grow in. Let me say it this way. is that, that seed gets planted when they connect. That seed will grow when they begin to grow, spiritually speaking. So I've said this multiple times this morning. Is that community or connection happens in circles, not in rows. Community connections happens in circles, not in rows. Let me read you one verse. And we'll wrap up this morning. It comes out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. I'm going to read this out of the message translation. I believe that this gives one of the clearest, simplest pictures of what a small group should be in all of Scripture. In my looking, if you want to say that. The message translation says it this way. It says, gently encourage the stragglers. People that are on the edges. Encourage the stragglers. Reach out to those who are exhausted. People that are just wore out. Reach out to them. Encourage them. Be a blessing to them. Here's one thing I found. There's nothing more draining in life than people. There's also nothing more encouraging than people. So people aren't your problem. But you may have the wrong people in the wrong place of your life. So you got to get more of the right people in your life to encourage, to strengthen, to breathe life into you. So reach out for the exhausted. Pulling them to their feet. Well, that sounds like work. That's called ministry. You reach down to those who are weak when you're strong and you pull up. Why? Because when you're weak, somebody else will pull you up. You sow that seed. It says be patient with each other. If you're going to deal with people, you're going to need some patience. Praise the Lord. Somebody was patient with me, so I ought to be patient with other people. I really try very hard to not get frustrated when people are maybe slow in their growth. Why? Because I'm not doing this for today. And as long as you're growing, I'm good. Take one step. And even if you're stagnated, I'm going to encourage you. I'm, I'm in neutral. Like, I ain't going nowhere in my relationship with the Lord. I'm going to encourage you. I, must, I want to. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. It says, be patient with each person and attentive to their individual needs. So here's what a small group offers. I'm going to go through these really quickly. There's five of them. A place to belong, number one. First and foremost, it's a place to belong. Number two, it's accountability and correction if needed. Here's the important part, though. It's correction inside of a relationship. That's vitally important. 
Nobody's here to swing their spiritual bat and tell you how dumb you are. They're to lovingly come alongside of you and say, you can do this. And to walk with you. So it provides accountability. Hey, you said you were believing God for this. You're still believing for that? Where are we at? Oh, no, I ain't been praying for a while. You need to keep praying for it. God, God, God will work for you. Just don't quit. Just don't give up. Just somebody to come alongside. So there's accountability and correction. Number three is that it'll help you overcome fear. One of the things that I believe will happen when you engage face-to-face is you realize my problems aren't unique. Everybody's got problems. There's strength in numbers. Hey, your marriage ain't doing great. Mine ain't either. Let's pray for each other and let's watch God do amazing work in our marriage. Number four is we help the weak. Number five is that we're patient with all people. We're loving to all people. Those are the those are the five elements that I see from this verse. It says, gently encourage the stragglers, reach out for the exhausted, pulling them to their feet, be patient with each person, and attentive to their individual needs. So this is why we're doing what we're doing. This is the heart behind it. It's not just, hey, we're doing small groups. Here's the why. Here's why it matters to you. And so there's two sides of this. Number one, I believe it will be a blessing and a benefit to you as far as personally speaking. But I also believe that God will use you to minister to somebody else. Why? Because I'm not the only minister here. We are ministers. Doesn't matter how long you've been serving the Lord, 20 years, two weeks, doesn't matter. God will use the willing and the available. And you might just surprise yourself. And here's the thing. You might actually get to experience God use you. And be like, oh my gosh, that was God. You might surprise yourself. And we'll see exactly what God said and showed us in the book of Acts. Is that the church was added to. Why? Because everybody's being ministered to. Nobody was being neglected. And that's God's desire. Is to see that no one's being neglected. And if we'll do that and we'll make it a priority, we'll be able to do exactly what they did in the book of Acts in the early church. Amen.